0: Okay, so let's go ahead and get started then. Um, So last week we looked at the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. This week we're looking at God the Son, and He gets His own week because we have the added complication of the incarnation. So that makes it a little bit more interesting. So here's our statement of faith We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures, Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. So that's, that's a pretty good summary of, um, of who Jesus is. So some of the explicit state. Oh, real quick. Um, name the, the uh, heresy.
1: <laughs> not it's like he's that the Father and There's no comma. There's
0: <laughs> There, There's a damnable heresy there. <laughs> the, The heresy is um, basically, like somebody said, modalism, right? Um, Jesus is now in the mode of God the Son speaking to God the Father. It's me, you. So um, I got that off of, I think it was Tumblr, and I was just like, this is horrible. (laughs) Just because you don't understand uh, Christian theology doesn't mean you should make a meme about it. So um, let's look at some explicit statements that Jesus is. God. So one of them is Hebrews 1.8. And in Hebrews 1.8, the author is quoting a psalm, Psalm 2, I think. I can't remember what psalm it is. It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And in Hebrews 1.8, he's applying that to Jesus. To whom did God ever say this? Well, he said it to Jesus. And so there's a pretty clear indication that the author of Hebrews believed that Jesus was God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Um, another one is Romans 9 5. It says, The Christ, who is God over all. It can't be much clearer than this. This is who is the Christ? Jesus is the Christ, and He is God over all. The one that's most common uh, to us, the one that we hear most often, is John 1 1, and the Word was God. Um, so that's the most clear one, um, and we'll have some guest lecturers in a moment to explain that to us. Um, and then Thomas, when Thomas saw Jesus raised and finally could touch him and see, his response was, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't go, don't say that. That's heresy. He accepted that. He just you know, received it. And then one that I find really interesting is from Acts chapter 20. This is when Paul went to Ephesus, and he's talking with the Ephesian elders. And uh, verse 28, he says that they have been charged to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. so God obtained the church with his own blood. God the Father has no blood, God the Spirit has no blood. God the Son, for a period of time, you know, once he became incarnate, had blood. So one of the big things is, uh, with John 1:1, 1, 1, uh, the word was God. The um, Jehovah's Witness will retranslate that and say something like the word was a God. And that's supposed to solve the problem of Jesus isn't divine. The explanation for it is a little technical, so I'll let somebody else handle it here.
1: Okay, Patrick, so apart from this, you have to call God Jehovah bit. Are there any significant theological differences between us? Oh, no, nothing major. Just a couple small things. Like what? Like Jesus isn't God. Wow, you're really swinging for the fences that warmed over area as a stadium. <laughs> so tell us, you deniers of Christ's divinity, what do you make of John 1.1, 1, 1, which states in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Actually the correct translation is, and the word was A which only proves our point. For more information, please read some of our literature. Well, how dare you, Patrick? What you're talking to a couple of fifth century Irish peasants here. You know good well, and well we're both locus the inniterate. <laughs> yeah, we're pamphlets shaming us. <laughs> translating, it's common to add the indefinite article before a noun, if the definite article is missing. For example, in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a, is power, b. Is. Exactly, and there's no article before theos in John 1.1c, which is why we translate that section as, and the word was a god. So clearly John is saying that Jesus wasn't the God, but was only a God. In other words, a very holy but lesser being. Except he's most clearly not saying that, Patrick, which you might have realized if you hadn't dropped out of Greek 101 after 15 seconds and ordered a bomb the Nicene Creek. Slip so really the text. The text that you hear. Yeah, that's the one. Now, the is a fancy way of saying that nouns change a bit based on the function they serve in a sentence. For example, when the word silver is the subject of the word. The word is Arboros. When it's the object, however, it's Arborio. This is boring. Yeah, I know, We've got to through this stuff to refute the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's okay. Whatever. Now, things get a wee bit tricky on the declension front when it comes to the verb to be, which is known as a linking verb. Now, as opposed to a regular verb which connects two completely different nouns, a linking verb connects two nouns which are essentially the same thing, such as the words I am Spartacus in the sentence, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. Because of this, both of the nouns joined by a linking verb will Picks, making them both look like the subject of the sentence. But in reality, one of them is the subject and one of them is what's called the predicate nominative. So, in a language like Greek, <coughs> where it takes you don't have to place the subject before the verb to identify it as the subject. How do you figure out which word is the subject and which is the predicate nominative? By and large, the answer is this. The word that features the definite article is the subject and the one that doesn't is the predicate nominative. So, Patrick, in John 1-1c, what's the verb? Was. Exactly. A linking verb. And what two nominative case nouns does that verb link together? John and were Precisely. I see. Which of those two nouns has the definite article? Word. Which means that's your subject, so the reason John doesn't include the definite article with God in 1-1c is because that's how you say the Word was God in Greek instead of saying God was the Word. Ergo, John is emphasizing the divinity of Jesus here, not denying. Okay, but that's not like a universal rule. Forever. No, it's not, but since lesser gods is a concept completely at odds with every syllable of the Bible, and since Jesus is clearly identified as God in John 20, Colossians 2, Matthew 1, and Titus 2, to name a few examples, <laughs> it would be absurd to translate this text in such a way as to indicate that Jesus is stuck running resurrection picket rolls on the junior varsity God squad. Yeah, <laughs> <In> the midst <laughs> of readers can perceive the hilarious hugeness of your heresy, For this, so <laughs> I about this? Well, if I had to guess, I'd say it's Ryland Library Papyrus P52, the earliest known copy of John's Gospel with a section in chapter 18, verses 31 to 33 on the front, verses 37 to 38 on the back. Either that or a book about Harriet the Moo Cow. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: it. Okay, good. Um, so thank you, guest lecturers. I think they did a better job on that than I would have. Um, yeah, we'll leave that up there. I think. Nope, we're not going to do it again. Sorry, stop. Um, okay, so there's some clear, I mean, it, it, despite what the Jehovah's Witnesses, the uh, Jezebel waitresses, jerky wine, wine experts uh, think, when they try to translate that, that doesn't work. What I like to do with them is just let them have that one because the next verse says all things were created through him and apart from him was nothing created that was created. And they go, oh, okay, so what? Well, he would have had to create himself because anything that's created was created by him. Well, everything other than that, that's not what that says. <laughs> there was nothing created that was not created by him. So um, they still argue. It means they were, everything was created in front of him then he didn't create everything, and you just said he did. So it's it's just easier to go with what the Bible actually says, which is Jesus is God. Um, he is co-eternal with the Father. He's always existed. So in John one ten, he says he was with God in the beginning. Yeah, I guess it was 1.10. He was with God in the beginning. And uh, my favorite one is John 8.58, where he's talking with some people who have been following him, and he says... Um, if you were really my disciples, you'd do what, or if you were really children of Abraham, you'd do what Abraham did. Abraham longed to see my day. They say, you're not even 38 years old, and, or 30 years old, and, and Abraham saw your day? And his answer is, before Abraham was, I am. And that's the divine name. in, in Greek, the way the Greek translated uh, the divine name was ego, am I? Uh, it, basically, I am, I am. And um, so when Jesus says that, they got it because the next thing they did was pick up stones and stone in it. So it's, it, it's just all over the place. Um, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is claiming that before Abraham existed, Jesus existed. That, that's pretty huge. Um, the Nicene Creed says that Jesus was begotten, not made. And we kind of fooled around with that a little bit last week. Um, here's how Grudem talks about it in his the systematic theology. He says, as for the text of scripture that say that Christ was God's only begotten son, the early church felt so strongly the force of many other texts showing that that Christ was fully and completely God, that it concluded whatever only begotten meant, it did not mean created. Therefore, the Nicene Creed in 325, 325 affirmed that Christ was begotten, not made. Um, so... We talked uh, the first week about Jonathan Edwards' view of how the Son could eternally exist or be eternally begotten of the Father, and then my head exploded. And so let's not revisit that. <laughs> but it, there it is. Um, so, what about his humanity? So, God, Jesus is, is uh, the Son of God, is, is uh, uh, fully God. Is he fully man? Um, so, 1 Timothy 2 5 says, There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So the scriptures very firmly affirm he is human. Um, we know that he was, for example, born, Luke 2, 7. He, he, came, into, he came into being through Mary's womb. Um, he got tired, um, John 4, 6. That's when he's traveling through Samaria. He gets weary, and so he sits down by the well. Uh, he got thirsty, John 19:28. He got hungry, Matt 4.2. He felt emotions. He he feels marvel in in Matthew 8.10. He feels sorrow in Matthew 26.38. He's troubled in John 11.33 and 13.21. And he sheds tears in John 11.35 and Hebrews 5.7. So he has all of these characteristics that a normal human being would have. And he had a human mind. Um, that comes from Luke 2.52. It says that he increased in wisdom and stature before God and man. He did what a human being would do. He increased in wisdom and stature before God and man. And he had finite knowledge. This is this is where we branch into a little bit of heresy. Um, Mark 13.32, he says, No one knows the day of my return except my Father in heaven. I don't even know. So his human nature was unaware of this. He, he, it was not revealed to his human nature. Um, his divine nature, however, knew uh, John twenty one seventeen. Somebody want to look that one up? I don't remember what that one was right off the top of my head. So um, while you're looking that up, I'll just press on. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, John 21, 17. He died. Divinity doesn't die. Luke twenty three forty six. He died on a cross. And his body remained real after his resurrection. He didn't stop being human after his resurrection. Anybody got that?
1: Yeah. the John, you you him, I
0: So Peter says to Jesus, You know all things, and Jesus doesn't say, Well, I don't know when I'm returning. So how could he know and not know at the same time? It's because he's fully human and fully God. So uh, that that is that. So um, oh yeah. So here's here's uh, one of the controversies. Uh, have you ever heard the term? It doesn't make one iota of difference. This is where it comes from. Um, at uh, the Nicene Creed, they were arguing over: Is Jesus the same as God, or is He different? And so being of one substance, homoousios, means he is of the same substance as the father. He has the same divinity as the father. Being of similar substance, it's homoiousios. One little letter, one iota, the smallest Greek letter, made the difference between orthodoxy and heresy. It was that close. So that was the difference. So here's some of the errors that people have had when it comes to how Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Um, Apollinarianism. Apollinarius was a bishop in Laodicea in 361, and he did not he, he thought that Jesus didn't have a human mind or a human spirit. He understood it to mean that divinity took their place in a human body, and so what you get is you get this human body with God stuffed in it. So it's God in a, in a skin spacesuit, basically. Um, is in this case is Jesus truly human? No, he's a meat puppet. God's moving him around. Uh, so that was condemned. That, so that, that's, that's not going to work because it's not just our bodies that need to be redeemed. It's our spirits. It's our minds. It's all of us. Um, Nestorianism. Uh, Nestorius was a bishop of Constantinople around 428. And uh, history has gone back and looked at this. And Nestorius probably didn't teach this. But the poor man got his name tagged to it. And so he's kind of stuck. Um, the idea here was that Jesus' human nature was, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus had a human nature and a divine nature, and they were two separate different things in him. They were not coalesced in one person. They were two. So he's like Jesus with a personality disorder. He's got two separate natures that didn't, weren't residing in him like that. Um, the other one is Eutychianism or monophysitism. Don't you love these words? Monophysitism. Physicism. Uh, Eutychius, he led a monastery in Constantinople uh, from 378 to 454 or so. Uh, that's when he was alive. And what he said was that Jesus' human nature was, disvi- or was absorbed into a divine nature so that what you get is a third nature. So you wind up with something that's neither human nor divine because these two have kind of merged into one. Um, and the problem here is, if Jesus isn't fully human, he can't redeem humanity, and if he isn't fully God, he isn't able to secure our, our salvation. So these these mixing of the two won't work. So what you get is the Orthodox view, which is Chalcedonian Christology. The Council of Can- um, of uh, Chalcedon, um, they hauled Eutychius in, Eutychius rather. Uh, they summoned him to Chalcedon about the matter, and they Hashed out. So there's a section on your handout from the uh, Chalcedonian uh, Creed that came out. What they did is they clarified that the doctrine of the Incarnation by stating that Jesus is of one substance with the Father in Godhead, of one substance with us in manhood, and made known in two natures without confusion, without change, and without division, without separation the property of each nature being preserved and occurring in one person in one substance, subsistence. So here's, let's go through this again. Of one substance with the father in godhood, of one substance with us in manhood. That's against Apollinarianism. So Apollinarianism said God in a space suit, not really of the same nature as us. Made known in two natures without confusion. So that's against Eutychianism. So the two natures didn't blend into some third thing, without change, without division, so we don't get Nestorianism, and without separation, each properly, each property, I'm sorry, the property of each nature being preserved and occurring in one person and one subsistence. So what the way we say this is we put this together, we say Jesus is fully God. And fully man. Um, it, you might hear people say he's 100% God and 100% man. Um, I get really picky about percentages. So when I hear that something increased by 150%, it's like it can't. 100% is all. So Jesus is not 100% God and 100% man. He is fully God and fully man. So everything that, that God is, he is. Everything that man is, uh, he is. And the way we describe that is we call it the hypostatic union. Um, So here's where we get the word hypostatic. It's pretty fancy, but the idea is pretty simple. So Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And that word for nature is hypostasis. And so that's why we get the hypostatic union. It is the union, the joining together of these two natures in one person. Not a confusion of them, not a separation of them, not a blending, all of that. So that's what we mean when we say hypostatic union. You just learned a Greek word. Is that
1: the radiance of the
0: glory of Father, or just the radiance of the glory of God? I think if you remember the Trinity shield, it's that center part. It's it's he's the radiance of God. So everything that God is, he is. The Father. The exact of his well, I think the place you need to be careful with that is when we're in Hebrews chapter 1, he's talking about the incarnation because he says, you know, previously God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us most clearly through his son. So in other words, Jesus was not who God spoke through previously. That was prophets. Now that Jesus has come. And so that's why when we get to this part, and it says that it is God... He could have said the Father, yeah. but he doesn't. He says God. I
1: think I, I, think
0: I that. Yeah, it's easy to, to get those things in there. And sometimes Bible translations don't help because to make things clear, they'll insert words. Um, yeah, and we have other ones that are just like, if you've
1: seen the Father, you've seen me. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think that was my instant Yeah. But you're saying that's just saying he's God. And he is, he, is, he is the imprint of his nature. So he has his nature. God's nature. So remember the. <laughs> welcome to Trinitarian theology. <laughs> because
1: whenever it's like his nature, I'm always thinking it is one of the Trinities that
0: they're talking about. But, but not here. It, it can't be because. What the Trinity share in common is one nature, which is God. And then in three persons, so the Father, the Son, the Spirit. So the Father is not more God than the Son. The Spirit is not more God than the Father. They all have the full nature of divinity but existing in three persons. So this is what it says here, is it's the nature of God is in him, the hypostasis. Uh, ESV. NASB. Which gets it wrong? No, they start
1: off right. The first word is God, and then they hold that word by using His.
0: Oh, instead of God here, they put God uh, at the beginning. Right,
1: the very first word of the book.
0: Oh, well, we can look at the at the Greek afterward, see how they did that. Because they tend to be the NASB tends to be a little bit more woodenly literal in some ways, so that might be a better way to put it. I'm just
1: saying, they state God, that's the major, and then they carry that term through with the word "shit" while
0: they're
1: talking about the Son. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we'll take a look. We'll take a look. Um, so here's a here's a big technical question, one of my favorite questions asked. So Jesus is fully God. There's no more God that can be had outside of Jesus than Jesus. He is fully God, and he is fully man. He is exactly the same as us in every way except for sin, right? So here's the question that, that people like to ask on ordination councils. Could Jesus have sin? What do you think?
1: So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so where do the temptations without temptations, right?
0: Was he actually tempted in all ways as we are, except without sin? And is it within the realm of human nature? Is it is it an essential part of human nature that you cannot sin? Cannot. Not even before the fall, it wasn't part of human nature. Human nature at the fall didn't change, so that sin was not possible. It was possible; it just hadn't happened. In our redeemed state, we'll be delivered from sin. Sin will be cast into the lake of fire and gone. It was, yeah. So here's the here's the you're getting at the struggle here. It is impossible for God to sin. It is possible for humanity to sin. So could Jesus have sinned? Well, he was. I guess. I
1: guess with what we're going of holy God, holy man, he was. He's fully holy, and he was fully capable of sinning, but he submitted himself to God's will, and with, could never, in that point. Mm. So, doesn't it kind of go back to what we talked about the first day though of uh, by God doing something, it is within His will, thereby not sin. If if Christ has the nature of God. Then, can't, is it He capable of what we would determine, what we from human eyes see as sin, but at the same time, it wouldn't be because it's contrary to His nature. So, just, just like sort of right. God yeah, that's a, just, yeah. A, just yeah. <laughs> like Ted, like, the question is, would He?
0: Yeah, it's silly. It's a silly question. But, um, here's the problem. If Jesus could, we're talking Jesus, not the eternally begotten Son of God. The eternally begotten Son of God couldn't, cannot sin because he is fully divine. Jesus is fully divine and fully human. So when Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, are we, if we're tempted, are we capable of sinning? Yeah, we sure are. If Jesus was not capable of sinning, was he tempted in all ways as we are? Not really. He couldn't be a sympathetic high priest because what would happen at that moment would be his humanity would switch off and his divine nature would kick in and go, yeah, I can't sin. You're not tempting me. But he never did that. He remained, remember what the confession says, unconfused, the two together, never departed. So he didn't resort to his divine nature to say, you can't tempt me. So here's why this is important. This is why I think this is really important, because the perfect man, the the fully human as we are, the perfect man did not sin. He was tempted. He faced the temptation, and yet he resisted it. That means we're capable of resisting sin, because we have this perfect human nature showing us this is what it means to be fully human. And so it's possible for us to not sin. And that's why I think it's really important to look at this and say, Jesus could have sinned because of his human nature. His human nature could have sinned. He didn't switch it off and resort to his divine nature. He did what the right, what the perfect human should do. He did what Adam should have done. And he said, I see what you're promising, Satan, but God has something better. So, so Adam fell because he watched Eve eat, and he heard the lies, and he went, well, it didn't kill her after Hyatt, you know. Well, he did, it did because it says he, he was, his, uh, she took and ate and gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. So he, he's, and, and then First Timothy 2 says she was totally deceived, and he was not. So Adam in the garden, like I said Sunday, he received the law of the garden. The law of the garden was see that tree, don't eat from that tree. You can build a tree fort in that tree. You can swing from that tree, put a tire swing in there. You can take the fruit of that tree and throw it at each other. Just don't eat it. What did Eve say? We cannot eat from that tree, nor can we touch it. As soon as you start dorking with God's law and try to be more holy than God, you're you're in trouble. And so she then gets totally confused by Satan because her stupid husband, thank you, Adam, is standing there and go, hang on, Eve, that's not what the law says. He just stood there and watched and went, well, didn't kill her. So who's the jerk in this? (laughs) It ain't the woman. The poor woman was deceived. Her husband could have went, no, don't eat that. That would be stupid. So with Jesus, Jesus now, the second Adam, comes along, and he is tempted, and I think his temptation was greater than Adam and Eve's because he comes into a sin-filled world a world already saturated with sin, and is promised, look, you don't have to go to the cross. So Eve is told, you surely will not die. And the same lie comes to Jesus. You, sh- you don't have to die. We can skip all of that. See all the kingdoms of the earth? They've been given to me. And I'll give them to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And so how did Jesus' human nature go, I'm not going to do it? Because he was trusting in God. He was doing what we're supposed to do. He fell back to Scripture. Yep. He, he relied on the word and said, I'm not going there. I refuse to do that. So I think, it, I think it sounds like how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, but I really think it's a hugely important question. They asked me that in my ordination council, and I got all excited. I was like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. That is really – and they're like, what? <laughs> What's wrong with this, guy?" I was like, no, this is really ultimately important. <laughs> Most people freak out when they get that question. I say, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm weird that way. Exactly. It is
1: consistent with the book where he did not consider uh, being God a thing to be grasped. So we did. Oh, well, yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, I kind of skipped it, but.
1: consider equality. We got a thing to be grasped. Other than which, you're, that's what you're saying. He you did not. Insert his godness on that
0: at that moment. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in this, and we probably should talk about it. I skipped it because I forgot to put it in my notes, but there's a lot happening here. So Jesus who, who being in very hypostasis, God, being this the same thing as God, did not consider god equality with God a thing to be grasped. The King James, I think it says stolen or something like that, taken. The the word is, is difficult to translate, but what it means is something to not be used for his own benefit. Something not to be taken and used for himself is kind of where it's getting at. So he didn't think, as he became man, born by the Virgin Mary, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be used for his own benefit. He could have emerged from the womb and kicked the Romans out and take it over the world, right? This little brand-new baby because he's God and he can do those kind of things. But he didn't. He said, I'm not going to take my equality with God as something to be used to my own advantage, but made himself nothing. In other words, another way to translate that is he emptied himself. What on earth does it mean that he emptied himself? Does it mean when Jesus became, when the eternally begotten Son of God Became Jesus in the womb, he said, Well, i'm just going to suspend all my divine powers. Just put them on hold i'm going to empty myself of all of that. Um, put it all aside I'm, I'm not going to avail myself of any of these divine prerogatives. Well, he didn't avail himself of the prerogatives, but did he did he set aside his divine nature? No, so it can't be that he emptied himself made himself nothing, uh, doesn't mean he, he poured out his divine nature. He still had it. He simply didn't think it was a thing to be grasped. It wasn't something to be wrestled with, something to be used for his own advantage. So when Jesus is looking at Pilate, and Pilate's like, don't you have anything to say? He says, I could call down a legion of angels. One angel took out a, an army of 180,000. A legion of angels could wipe this earth clean. And he could have, and he said, but I'm not going to because I'm here to do my father's will. So his emptying himself didn't mean he stopped being any less divine. It just meant he didn't do what he could have done, taking the very nature of a servant. So he didn't come to the top of the human structure and say, I'm a a, uh, king greater than Nebuchadnezzar. He went all the way to the bottom, took took to the lowest level and became a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. That's another one that people stumble over. Became obedient. Was he not obedient? And he gained obedience? No, lack of obedience to God is sin. <laughs> it means that he became obedient to death. In other words, he took that role and followed it all the way through to the cross. Followed it all the way through to death. Even death on a cross. its words
1: likeness.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if you take it by itself, well, he emptied himself. So he wasn't God, because he emptied himself out of Godness. See, and here's the thing: is is the Da Vinci Code? Remember that was a big thing a number of years ago. Um, hmm. Solid resource. Um, so Dan Brown, the author, was a, was a disciple of a woman named Elaine Pagels. And I had to read her in um, New Testament in college because we studied the heretics instead of the New Testament in college. And so Elaine Pagels is really into the Gnostics, and she thinks that true Christianity is Gnosticism and that um, the Orthodox came along and usurped the, the true Christianity that the Gnostics had, had announced. So her thesis, and Dan Brown as her disciple just kind of turned it into a, a, a novel form, was that nobody thought Jesus was God before Nicaea, that Constantine came along and said, hey, I need a God for my new empire, so make Jesus God. And they went, yeah, okay, that's that's cool. Jesus is God. And that, that's her thesis. That's Dan Brown's storyline. The problem is Nicaea didn't come together to figure out if Jesus was God. They came together to figure out how could he be man? How on earth is he human? And so, yeah, this kind of stuff could give rise to that. But when you back up and take it all together, it's like even history is not supporting this idea that they made Jesus God at Nicaea. It just doesn't fit. Um, he, He always was. Uh, so get, 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 there we go. So there we go. Um, so what's Jesus doing now? What's he What's he doing for us now? Um, well, first of all, he is a prophet. Um, Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. Moses said, "The Lord will rise up for you a prophet like me from among you," and that's what when they say. Uh, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say I am? Some say you're John. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're the prophet. This is who they're talking about, is this one who would rise up like Moses. And he is, by the way, that is him. He is the one that Moses was pointing to. Um, John 118, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right hand has made him known. So that's what a prophet does, is a prophet reveals God to us as God speaks, as he he. Uh, does things, the prophet is revealing him to us. And so this idea that Jesus is revealing the, the Father to us is his office as a prophet. Uh, Hebrews 1, we saw the radiance of the uh, glory of God, the exact imprints of his nature. Um, and John 14, eight and, nine, eight, yeah, 8 and 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here's Jesus revealing God as our prophet. He's also our priest. He represents us before God. Uh, Hebrews 4 uh, through 5, um, there's a lot going on there, but 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was been tempted as we are yet without sin. We have a high priest. And our high priest has gone into not the earthly tabernacle that was a picture, but the real tabernacle in heaven. He's entered in behind the veil of, the real veil, the real presence of God. So that's our high priest. He's in heaven interceding for us. Um, and he's also the sacrifice, Hebrews 9.26. Uh, but as it is, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he's the high priest who offers the sacrifice. He's also the sacrifice being offered. Um, no high priest could do that. That wasn't going to work. And then he's our king. He's going to rule over us forever. Uh, He's the head of the church from Ephesians 5.23 and Colossians 1.18. Jesus talks about in uh, his testimony before Pilate, my kingdom, John 18.36. When the Pharisees are accusing Jesus, they're trying to get him executed. They take him before Pilate and they can't argue theology. They can't go before Pilate and say he says he's God and he can't be God. That won't get him executed. So what they say is, uh, Luke 23, 2, saying, himself, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So whenever you hear Christ, you've got to think not um, some miracle worker, healer person, but king. And that comes from uh, 1 Samuel where David is promoted to king. Saul is still on the throne. And he gets a couple of times to kill Saul. His men say, kill him, take him out now. And he says, I will not lay my hand against God's, God's anointed, God's Messiah. And, and that's what Christ means as God's anointed one. So the office of king is the anointed, and that's why we call him Jesus Christ. Is he is the Messiah. He is the king. Um, and he'll return to rule one day. Uh, Revelation nineteen sixteen: on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that is our Jesus. This is our high priest, sympathetic. Um, he he understands what it means to be tempted in all things. Um, and he also knows that we can resist sin. It's possible, it can be done. So this is our Jesus. Any any uh, questions or comments before we sing? Of course you're still saying that no man can the father. He is the high priest. There is no other one. No other no other avenue. Oh, that was an interesting comment about David with
1: God's anointed. I I boy, I to pass that off with this. God point, literally appointed Saul hey, King. He was chosen by God. Mm-hmm. David was with respect.
0: He wasn't gonna kill God's anointed to get to the throne. But with uh, the Luke with the the Luke passage? I guess. Yeah. Because nobody David never you know Christ was still off Oh for David. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well so he wouldn't know that, the, the state he just said God personally picked him, I'm not sure.
0: I will not lay my hand against God's anointed. He laid his hand against plenty of other people, <laughs> even some kings, but he wouldn't do it to God's anointed. So he wouldn't he didn't assume that he should be on the throne, even though Saul or Samuel came and anointed him and said you're the king. He wouldn't take that until God put him in that position. So he he was on the lamb for a number of years until God took Saul out and then he he, he ascended to the throne. Yeah. Okay, well, let's sing. This is in Christ alone. I have to pause this because nobody should hear this. Oops. Uh, There it is.